So I've, I've just got one point that I want to make today. Um, and uh, well, let me say this. Let me tell you what's going to happen and then I'll, I'll make my point. So I'm going to preach. I'm going to hopefully, like God willing, communicate just one thing uh, to all of us. And then after I get done, we're going to take communion together. And then after uh, that, we're going to sing. And uh, I heard them rehearsing. You're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. And uh, we'll have the, the kids will be coming back at some point in there too. And then after that, we'll be dismissed. If you really enjoy services today, we are having a third service at 1230. So if you're like, lunch is overrated on Easter Sunday, I'm going to come back and listen to another sermon, actually the same one. Uh, we'll come back. Yeah, I'd, I'd love that. You would, you would probably make my day <laughs> if you came back. But no pressure, no pressure. All right, so this is the point I want to make today. This is it, okay? I'm not going to say anything more profound than this, um, and that is this. God deeply loves you. That's it. That's it. And the problem is, is that we, we know that in theory, because we've read about it. We've sung about it. Jesus loves me, this I know. Uh, we've heard that. Most of us, if you, unless this is your very first Sunday or you're just introduced to the idea of God and have never heard about him before, you've heard this idea that God deeply loves you. The problem is, is that somehow that idea hasn't been off or often hasn't been translated into our experience. So we don't walk around the world. We don't engage in our jobs. We don't parent. We don't have a relationship with our spouse in the, uh, in the sense, resting in the knowledge of God's love. And so we have to fight to prove to our employers that we are worthy. And we have to look at our accolades and our accomplishments to make us feel like we have done something. We have to look at our children's accomplishments and the things that they have done so that we can live through them and make ourselves feel like we are worthy. But none of that really truly matters. God doesn't really care about any of that. He celebrates those things with you, but none of that matters because God has already deeply loved you, period. Like just, it's, that's, that's it. There's nothing else. Now, I, I tried to think of something more clever for Easter Sunday. I'm like, I cannot preach a whole sermon about God loves you and then spoil it at the beginning and everybody already knows what the whole sermon's about. And the Spirit's like, it does, you don't get more clever because Christianity is not more clever than that. That's just the basic truth of the idea. And I hope that we walk out of here feeling, like feeling that reality. Not just knowing, but feeling it. And it's not, this is the problem because I think some of us is like, are, are thinking, you know, yeah, God loves me, but he's also, uh, he's also pretty annoyed with me a lot of the time. He's not, he's not annoyed with you. I, I get annoyed with myself, but God is not annoyed with you. God loves you, but I know the things I do. He's got to be disappointed in me. He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. Uh, well, yeah, but like he, surely he's, there's like a voice of shame and a voice of condemnation that I hear sometimes, and that's God, right? No, that's not the language God speaks. God doesn't condemn. God doesn't shame. God doesn't try to get you to become a better human through shame. He's done everything he could possibly do to make that process happen, but he doesn't say, oh, you're worthless, you're, you're a failure, you're no good, you're not a good parent, you're not a good Christian. He doesn't, that's just not him. All God says is that I deeply love you. That's just the basic reality. I mean, there's reasons God could be disappointed in us. God could put up with us. God could be frustrated with us. God could be annoyed with us. We know those reasons, right? We have that list playing in our head, but God actually loves us 
And that's true. And that's real. And that's just the bottom line. And that is a love that can be experienced. It can be experienced. You see, I'm, I, I'm not making this up. You can go to work tomorrow or your day off or whatever feeling like you are loved by God and that will transform that experience of work. You can interact with your, your spouse or your children today at lunch feeling loved by God and that will transform your lunch today. It'll transform your lunch today. I'm not, like, I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm trying to tell you a reality that already exists that we somehow cannot live in. It's just it's the basic truth of everything. Pre-COVID, um, well, when I say pre-COVID, I mean everything was pre-COVID, you know, prior to a year ago. So this is like 14 years ago, my, uh, my wife, pre-COVID, I guess, technically, my wife and uh, my oldest daughter, Taya, who's a 12th grader now, about to graduate, um, she was probably three, two or three years old, and we were flying somewhere. So we were getting on an airplane, and it's, it's funny because, you know, flying is kind of fun if you're going on vacation, if you're going for, it's like less fun. But getting on a plane, you're getting on a plane full of people who, it just feels like every, most people on a plane are just mildly cranky. Just, just the whole process of flying, it's just everybody wants to get on the plane first, which I never completely understood, and they all want to get off the plane first, and they all want to fight for the overhead bin space, and and they all want to make sure that the person in front of them doesn't recline their seat during the flight. And it's just like, it's just this mildly cranky experience. You know, you're, you're anxious about making sure you make your flight. So some of you are like last minute and you get there right before the plane boards. But I grew up with my mom. And this, of course, we were traveling internationally. My mom would like to get to the airport, I don't know, a good two or three days before we were supposed to leave. And so we were just like waiting around, you know, no hotel room, just waiting around. It's not that bad, but we had to take a train and then a flight. And we would just, it was way too early and we'd have to sit around at the airport. You're just sitting around, you're kind of bored. This is pre-smartphone day, so there wasn't, you know, you couldn't like mindlessly scroll on the internet. But anyway, so I say all that to say, me and Corrine and Taya were going to fly. And it was one of those moments where, because on top of all of this, the, uh, sometimes the flight's delayed or something happens that just, you know, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And this was one of those flights. So the lady got on the intercom and she was talking to everybody there at the gate. And she says, um, you know, sorry to let you know this flight is looking like it's delayed. And, you know, uh, you know grumble, grumble, grumble. But then she did something that I thought was genius that I think they should all do. She told us what was happening. Most of the time they're just like, it's delayed, you know, and you're like, why? Are they, are the pilot, you know, are they playing cards? Are they like, what are, what's happening? Nobody knows what's happening. But she said, it's delayed because your flight crew, your pilots, your stewards, your stewardesses are on another flight that has been delayed. And once that arrives, they'll disembark and they'll come to our gate and they'll get on our plane and then we'll take off. And you're like, okay, cool. Now what she did is she had 200 people at the gate all staring down the concourse waiting for our flight crew. That's all everybody was doing. Like, are they coming? And it was really, it was actually really cool. Um, but, but before they showed up, you know, so she would give us updates. Everyone, the flight hasn't arrived. You know, we're working on it. We're, we're making it happen. We're trying to make it happen. And then she said, you guys also have to know something else. We are coming up against, this flight crew is coming up against FAA regulations for how many hours they can fly. So unless this flight crew gets on this plane and we get boarded and we get away from the gate within, I don't know what she said, like 20 minutes, then we have to ground this flight crew and then find another flight crew and it'll be a longer de delay. And so, you know, 200 people are staring down the concourse like, 
And then the flight crew shows up and it was unbelievable. You remember that scene in The Right Stuff where they're all in the, the astronaut uniforms and they're slow-mo walking, you know, through. The, it was like that. It was like these were heroes wearing capes and everybody saw them coming and the murmurs started to go through the crowds and people started applauding for them. I mean, that never happens. You know, they're dragging their little suitcases behind them and there's a crowd applauding them as, as they go and people are cheering like, let's go, let's go. You know, and we're like, we got 15 minutes to board this plane. Now you would think, knowing humans as many of us do, you would think there is no way we can get on that plane and away from the gate in 15 minutes. Easter miracle. It wasn't Easter, but it was a miracle because it was amazing. People were grabbing other people's luggage to load it onto the plane. You would pass your, somebody would be like, let me take that for you. And they would put it in an overhead bin for you. Like babies, I'll take that baby. We'll go get you seated. My, my, uh, my wife and, and daughter and myself were near the end of the boarding process for whatever reason. I don't know why. God has cursed me with always being like boarding zone number 12 or whatever. So everybody else gets to board and they've all been the plane for 45 minutes. They're super cranky by the time I get on. But for whatever reason, so we're we're at the end and we get on the plane and I, I wish I could tell you that I'm like exaggerating this. That plane, they are cheering for us as we get on. They're applauding. They're excited. They're like, we can do this. They're chanting. It was the most amazing boarding experience ever. It should always be like that because it was incredible. Most of the time, it's just mild annoyance. And this was just like humanity coming together. There was something just so different about this moment. And it was just, it was, it was really exceptional. It was really unbelievable. Uh, just, a, just a beautiful moment. Best flight I've, I've ever been on. Nothing has ever measured up since. Because normally humans, myself included, we do fall far short of our own expectations. We, we, we are mildly annoyed with one another. The human experience is not that we are loved by one another and by God. The world doesn't tell us that we are loved by one another and by God. The world tells us that we have to measure up and that we have to be on time and that we have to do these things in order to get enough likes and to be worthy of love and worthy of human connection. That's, that's what the world tells us and it's just a rare thing for that not to be the case. And in, in, in this case, it was kind of cool because what was best for the individual on the flight was that something that was best for everybody on the flight. And so everybody had to work together. It was just this, this beautiful moment. It's, it should always be true, by the way. It's always best to serve and love others, and it's always best for you to do that too. It's something Scripture repeat, uh, repeatedly says. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So if this is your first Sunday with us, your first Sunday back, your only Sunday visiting, um, <laughs> we're in a long series. I've never done this before, but we're in part 18 of our series on the Spirit. And I just say part 18 because I don't really know at this point. I think it's 18. It could be more. It could be less. I don't know. I just kind of lost count. But some of you are going to hear that and you're going to think like, oh no, I, don't, I haven't been here for the first 17 uh, sermons. And some of you are also like, yeah, thank God I haven't been here for the first 17. That sounds like a lot. But we're talking about the Spirit and just the transformative experience of God living in us. And we're, I mean, I was like, should I do something different for Easter Sunday? No, because it's still true, and it's true for Easter Sunday as well. So even if you haven't been with us, you're going you're gonna to get it, because my point today is that God deeply loves you. And you don't have to have been here for 18 weeks to know that. God, God deeply loves you. Romans 8, uh, 8, chapter 8, verse 11, says this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you. That sounds like a good Easter passage. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So if what I have been trying to say for the last 18 weeks is true, there will come a time where your heart will stop beating, your breath will stop filling your lungs with air, your synapses in your brain will stop firing, thoughts will cease, and all that will be done. But if it's true that the Spirit of God lives in you, you won't stay dead. God will give life to your mortal bodies, just like Jesus. There is a reality here that I don't fully comprehend. Even as someone who has dedicated their life to trying to understand Scripture and explain it to other people, there is a reality here that I don't fully grasp or understand, that one day we will die and then we will not be dead. My brain does not, that idea does not fit well in my brain. Jesus was dead and then he was not. That's, that's, that's the culmination of scripture. Jesus was dead and then he was not. Um, those of you that know Corrine know this reality about her. She is not a morbid person, but she wants to die. Now, I, I say that because that sounds like an odd thing, because that is not human instinct to want to die. She tells me all the time, I can't wait to die, I can't wait to go. And I think she, she's in, she enjoys napping, and I kind of think she thinks death is like a big, long nap, and so she's just really looking forward to that. But there are times where it makes me feel a little insecure, like, why are you so excited to get out of this relationship till death do us part thing? Like, is it really that bad to be married to me? Uh, but she just is ready. She's just ready to go, ready to be done, ready to, the, what, what does Shakespeare say, throw off this mortal coil. She's just, she's just ready. She's not morbid, doesn't like horror movies, not, not anything like that. She's just ready to go in this really, I think, healthy sense. Because I think she believes, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that one day when she's dead, she will no longer be dead. That, that's a truth that she believes fundamentally that I still am working on trying to figure it out. I have found one exception to that, though. Um, she wants to die except when I am driving. And it's, it's amazing to me, and I'm going to point this out to her one day because I will make a left turn into a space that she thinks is too tight for the oncoming traffic, and she'll like, you know, grab the, the dashboard or the, 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 the car door, and she'll say something like, are you trying to kill me? And I'm like, I'm just trying to grant your every wish, honey. That is what you have been telling me all along. And she said repeatedly, listen, I'm, I'm looking forward to death. I do not want to die with you driving. I don't think that would be a very fun experience. And I, I get it. I totally get it. But she's just, she's just ready. She's just ready to go. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Your mortal bodies. That's this. Flesh and blood and, blood and bone. Because of his spirit who lives in you. All right, that's awesome. That's a big truth, hard to take in, all in one setting. It's going to take us a lifetime to understand that. But just think about this. God loves you so much that he wants to spend eternity with you that he made it possible for you to live forever. That's how much he loves you. That you can live forever because he wants to be around you all the time. I don't know, Patrick. That seems a little mushy for me. I'm more like get into some deep, meaty theology than God loves me. That's, that's, too, that's milk stuff. I want meaty theology, but it doesn't get more meaty than that. <laughs> that God deeply loves you, and that fact should transform your life.
And God's saying, I'm going to free you from the fear of death. Look at verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we read this last week, but it's a good, always good to have a recap. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Because we are going to be raised again, we have an obligation not to center our lives around the flesh. We don't need to take into account the flesh when we're making life choices. Well, I don't know. That's dangerous. I shouldn't do that. We don't need to worry about that because God has freed us from the fear of death by raising Jesus to life and giving us a promise of a hope to come. But if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. That's a, that's, a, that's a dead end road living according to the flesh. Consumerism, achievement, all of that, it's just dead end, dead end. And that's what God's been trying to teach us that for so long. But he says if you die to all that, then you will live. Put to death the misdeeds of the body and you will live. Must be that God loves us a lot. But look at verse 14. For those, and that's us, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, we're the children of God. Oh, that's great. That sounds good. Yeah. The Spirit you received, that God has given you, God in you, does not make you slaves. All right, that's good. So that you live in fear again. The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Um, there is, I was reading this week, and this is, I, I didn't think this was true, and I tried to check multiple sources because I thought this can't be true. This can't be right. Um, this is a letter we're reading that was written to Christians trying to navigate their way in the Roman Empire in Rome, like in the, in the heart of the beast. They were in the center of it. And if we think, I don't know, I've heard some Christians think that our culture can be a little antagonistic toward faith. Our culture doesn't like really sort of engender a relationship with God. But uh, if we think it's hard to navigate faith in our culture, we have nothing on Roman culture. I mean, they were not, they would be like, oh, you're a Christian, we should kill you. That's, that, I mean, that would be hard to navigate. Because right now, if you talk to somebody uh, about Easter Sunday, they're like, oh, happy Easter to you. I hope you have a good day. I hope, you know. But if in, in first century, if you said, oh, you know, I'm Easter Sunday, I'm going to church, that's why I'm wearing this pink shirt, they'd be like, uh-oh, i got to report you to the authorities because you should die. I mean, that, that's antagonistic toward your faith for sure. But one of the things this culture did, this is unbelievable to me, this is the thing I couldn't believe, is that they, uh, if there was a, like a baby that was born, and this was the dad that made this decision. I mean, you talk about an incredible uh, patriarchal society. If the dad didn't think the baby was viable, if it had a birth defect, if he just didn't like it, if it was a girl and he didn't think it could carry on the fa family legacy or whatever, the dad could, and this was common, could take the baby and put it out by the curb and just walk back in the house. Just leave the baby to die. It's called exposure. In fact, some of you are like, that ah, doesn't sound right. That sounds too brutal. Google it right now. I don't care. Uh, it's true. that They would just take these babies and they would leave them to die on the curb. Imagine... You're walking to work, you got your Starbucks, you know, you know you're, you're listening to your podcast or whatever, and you hear a baby crying from like, you know, a pile of trash, and you just keep going. That's the society that they lived in. In fact, there are estimates that 30 to 40 percent of Roman society were slaves. Because what would happen with these babies is that they wouldn't always just leave them to die. There would be these slave traders that would come along and they would take these often little girls and they would take them and they would raise them in these brutal slave mills. You know, like, you know, you've heard about like puppy mills or you've seen like a pig farm or a chicken farm where it's just like, I mean, brutal conditions. Raise these kids till they're five or six years old and then sell them into the slave market. 
And so the market is just flooded with these kids with either birth defects, kids who were unwanted, kids who were abandoned, and they had grown up in slavery being completely... Imagine, I've not been invited to birthday parties and it's made me feel a little bad before. Imagine if your family left you by the curb and you were raised a slave. Imagine that type of rejection and lack of belonging. I mean, that is, it's unbelievable to think about. Hundreds of thousands of kids in this environment, in this situation. You were dumped by your own family and you're raised a slave. You're not a citizen. You don't have any rights of a citizen. Just nothing. So in that, with that in mind, read this text again, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Imagine this child who had been raised in those conditions hearing Paul, uh, hearing that read out loud by Paul. Those who are led by the Spirit of God because you believed, yes, God lives in me, that's amazing. You're the children of God. That's you. This person who's been so (laughs) completely and brutally told that they do not belong, you are a child of God. I mean, I've been, I feel like I've been left out. I've seen people have friendships that I wanted. I've been, you know, not invited to birthday parties. I've had people I feel like mistreat me. Nothing like this, though. And he's saying, no, no matter your sense of unbelonging, God, has, God says you're, you're a child of God. I mean, that sounds like God loves you deeply. In fact, this is off topic a little bit, but I think it's important to note that once people started getting converted, started believing these truths, Christians would go along scooping up the babies from the sidewalk and raising them as their own. The ratio of women to men in the early church was unbelievable because there were all these baby girls that had been abandoned that were raised in the church, that were raised by Christians, that were raised to be children of God by other children of God, that were given a home, that were told that they belong. It's just, it's unbelievable to think about. And eventually, Rome outlawed the practice because they realized how awful it was because Christians were doing the right thing. It's just amazing to think about. It says in verse 15, the second part of verse 15, by him, this is the spirit, we cry. And then he says this this word that I think we recognize, but it's in a different language than even what the letter's written in. By we, we cry, Abba, Father. So the book of Romans is written in Greek. And then Paul sneaks in this Aramaic word, Abba, there, which I think we can, we know that means father in Aramaic. Aramaic was the language of the home. The language of business was Greek. Um, or Latin, the language of education. But the language of the home for Hebrew society was Aramaic. And that, that's the language he's calling to. He's saying, you have this relationship with your father through the Spirit. That's just, just unbelievable to think about. It's unbelievable. In verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Then, for the next 12 verses, he talks about how life, regular old life, will not remind you of this truth that God loves you. You are not going to go to work tomorrow. You are not going to turn on the TV and watch your favorite Netflix show. You are not going to listen to your favorite podcast and have it remind you of this truth. This is not a truth that the world wants to communicate or the world knows how to communicate. The world will communicate that you need to be a high-achieving individual to have value and worth. And once you do not have anything to offer, then you do not have value. Which is why in our society, as people begin to get older and they don't feel like they have anything to value anymore, then they begin to feel like, well, what do I matter? Does my presence, does my life, does my accumulated wisdom and knowledge matter? And in our society, it doesn't. And that's why we fight to avoid aging. That's why we will take every 
pill, every you know, piece of plastic surgery, everything to avoid aging. That's why it's an insult for someone to think you're older than you are, and it's a compliment for someone to think you're younger than you are. Because we live in a society that is completely backward in terms of value. We value youth, and then we discard age. And it's just absolutely bonkers. It's absolutely crazy. The world does not communicate you are deeply loved by God. And so we have to remind ourselves of this truth constantly, constantly. A God that adopts us, a God that makes us a son and daughter, this God doesn't take us from the curb and make us a slave or a citizen. This God takes us from being abandoned on the curb and being left to die to being a son or a daughter. That's the type of God that we have that loves us, loves the circumstances of our lives, loves who we are. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, Patrick, this is great, but it's a little, uh, it's a little emotional. You know, you're talking about love, and I don't, love is not my, I don't know. I, I'd rather, you know, I would rather just talk about, like, theology, and let's talk, about, let's get back to the spirit. You're talking about God loves me. I don't, I don't know. And some of you are thinking, it's probably a little too good to be true, because I know my deep, dark secrets that I will never tell anybody else, and evidently God knows those too, so God, there's no way God can love me, because I got some stuff that, I can't love. I know other people wouldn't love if I told them. So there's no way God can love either. So it just doesn't feel like a real truth. So I think most of us are tempted and have most of our lives walked away from that message on a Sunday morning or whenever and just walked back out into the world and been like, yes, I have to be a high achieving individual. I have to prove my value. I have to prove my worth. I have to make myself lovable in order for people to actually show me love. Henry Nouwen says that we live in a world that is constantly trying to convince us that the burden is on us to prove that we are worthy of being loved. And God says, you are, you're in, I've always loved you. The world says, get in, stay in, watch your step. And God says, I love you, period. In fact, I love people who hate me. In fact, I am willing to die for people that consider me their enemy. Like that's how much God loves people. It's unbelievable to think about how do we experience this truth? How do we experience the reality? How do we walk out of here and not this not just be like another, okay, yeah, God loves me, that's great, you know, let's go eat Easter meal, Easter ham, I don't know what you eat on Easter. How do we experience this truth? How does this become part of who we are? Um, those, those of you who are parents, like, have you ever had a moment where you thought maybe your kid thought that you didn't love them? Like, because we're imperfect parents, like, have you, ever, have you ever been impatient with a child and, uh, and, and they, it, really, you know, it really deeply hurt, hurt them? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's personal. I'll tell you, though. Um, Liam wanted to go play basketball the other day, and I, I love basketball. And so I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. So we go find a hoop, and we're shooting baskets. You know, real father and son moment, sunsetting, golden hour, picturesque. It's beautiful, perfect, perfect moment. Liam misses a couple shots, and, and he, starts, he starts crying. And I'm like, it's okay, buddy. I mean, I'm not a perfect shooter either. I'm no Steph Curry. It's okay. What, you know, don't worry about it. It's fine. And I was missing the point. I'm thinking he's upset because he missed a shot, you know, and he's nine, and he's just learning to shoot a basketball. And he said, Dad, I, I, don't, I don't really like basketball. And I'm like, you are not my son. Get out of here. No, no, of course not. I was like, I was like, oh, buddy, that's okay. And then he said, but you like basketball. And I said, yeah, I do, but you don't have to like it. It's totally fine. He said, yeah, but you told Wayne. And I thought, oh, Wayne is Liam's little buddy. 
And Wayne had been, Liam and Wayne had been playing. And Wayne said, hey, Mr. Doherty, I'm, I'm playing basketball on a basketball team. And I told Wayne, my face lit up. And I said, Wayne, that's awesome. I love basketball. That's so cool. I really want Liam to play basketball too. And Liam was over here looking at me light up about Wayne and basketball and thought, oh, if I want that kind of attention from my dad, I have to love basketball. I have to play basketball. And he's missing a couple shots and he's just balling. And I'm so, like, Liam, I'm so sorry. And I'm hugging him. I'm so sorry. Liam, I will love you no matter what you do, no matter what you play, unless it's soccer. I cannot figure that sport out. I will love you no matter what. Anything you want to do. And I, no, but for, I was like, anything. Like, anything you want to do. So sometimes even, even, I love Liam. And I don't care if he plays basketball or not. But somehow I communicated to him that his value came from whether or not he liked the things I like because I'm an imperfect parent. And so what I want Liam to do is to understand, okay, yes, that was one data point, and I'm sorry, I'm going to do better about that. But there are a million other data points I want you to consider when you're deciding whether or not I love you. There are a million things. This one data point, I get that it communicated something that was hard to understand, buddy. I'm sorry about that. But here's a million other things. And I didn't say this to him, but this is what I would love to say. Um, so what, what I want to do is I want to write a parent love manifesto for our children. Because our children sometimes think like, oh, you didn't let me go to that party at that person's house. You must not love me and want me to have fun. Well, no, actually, I didn't let you go to that party because that party looked dumb and dangerous, and I love you, and I don't want you to get yourself in a bad situation. I love you. That's why I let that thing that felt hard and difficult happen to you, because I love you. Well, all the other kids have iPhone 12s, and you don't love me because I don't have an iPhone 12. No, no, no. I love you, and that's why I didn't get you an iPhone 12, because phones will ruin your life and you shouldn't have any phones but I'll give you like a flip phone because that will be better for you I do that because I love you all the other kids have snapchat you don't love me because I don't have snapchat no I love you that's why I don't allow you to have that terrible app that makes you compare yourself to all your friends and they're all insecure and they're all parading their insecurities on social media I love you so I don't want you to have those things so don't take that one data point and extrapolate a premise that I don't love you. Consider the full scope of the reality. Here's the full scope of the reality for parents and children. Here's my parent manifesto. Kids, do you think I, I love you? Uh, you don't? Well, then what shall we say to these things? Children, I pay the heating bill. I pay that bill because I love you. I want to keep the heat at 59 degrees and you guys would be miserable, and so I allow it to be at 61 because I love you. That's because I love you. Those two degrees are my love. I buy all your clothes. I buy all your clothes. You don't have a job. You don't have any money. I buy all your clothes. Even the ones that look ridiculous because I don't understand today's fashion, I buy those and I tell you you look nice, honey, because I love you. I spent hours watching the most ridiculous kids' cartoons with names like Yo Gabba Gabba. Do you think I like that? No, it's ridiculous and I don't get it, but I do it because you enjoy it and I love you. I carried you into the ER when you were sick. I stay up at night worrying about you. I wake up in the middle of the night and make sure you're alive because I love you. When you wanted to ride your bike around the block 
And I thought, I need to let you do this to give you a sense of independence. I secretly followed you from 200 feet away, hiding behind the bushes because I love you and want you to have independence. And I also don't want you to get kidnapped. And I've listened to too much true crime. I love you. I want the best for you. When you got older, I followed your location on your phone. Because I love you and you're dumb. And you're going to do things that are dumb. And I want to protect you from choices that have serious consequences because I love you. I follow you on your phone because I love you. And you're not trustworthy yet. I stayed up late. I woke up early. I've cleaned up so much throw up. Do you think I enjoy that? No. I... I did that because I loved you. I have aged 40 years in the last decade because I love you. I look at pictures from when I moved here and my kids were little. I'm like, I look young. And now I'm like, what happened? What is it? Wrinkles. Well, it's my kids. I want to tell my kids that every lecture, every lecture where where you, you got that look in your eyes when I started going and you got like, oh no. Every lecture was just a really long, winding way for me to say, I love you. That's all it is. It's just a super long, complex, confusing way (laughs) for me to tell you I love you. I want you to take all those data points in. Not just the one. Because some of you are going through some period of hardship in your life. And you're like, "Does, does God love me? Because something bad has happened to you or a family member or something that you expected good to happen has not happened. And does God love me? And God's like, would you step back and look at the bigger picture? Would you look at all of it? Would you look at everything? Would you look at the fact that I sent my son to die for you on the cross because I love you? I I adopted you as sons and daughters because I love you. How do you know I love you? Well, literally everything in your life. Everything is an expression of my love. So how do we experience the love of God? I'm going to read a passage of scripture because Paul does it better than I could. And we're going to wrap up uh, with this and we're going to uh, take communion shortly after this. But, but we're going to read this passage of scripture. And, and let me say, can I say, say real quick with communion? Um, I don't know why. In the Church of Christ, we've, we've been so weird about this. We've felt like communion, and if, you're not, if you didn't grow up in the Church of Christ, you could just ignore this. Uh, we felt like communion is like our weekly guilt session for some reason. Like, we got a communion, Jesus died for my sins. Oh boy, my sins. How many? Let me start counting. What are the sins I committed this week? I've had people literally tell me that's what they do during communion is they recount all the sins that they did this week. And they just wallow in the sins. And God must be so annoyed because God's like, no, I'm trying to tell you I love you. The point is not guilt and shame. The point is I love you. That every time you drink that cup, every time you eat that bread, you should be reminded of my love expressed in Christ dying on the cross. It should remind you of love, not of shame and condemnation. If you wallow in sin and don't get to the, the, the love, then we're missing the point. Communion is about God loving us. Listen to what he says, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse, uh, starting at verse 31. You ready? You ready for this? This is good. This is good. What then shall we say in response to these things? These things are all the bad stuff that happens in our lives. The realities. It's reality. Bad stuff, is, is, it happens to all of us. I know you feel like, well, yeah, but my life has been worse than most people's because, no, it happens to all of us. We all, rain falls on the just and the unjust. 
What shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, if God is on our side, who can be against us? If he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you think God is withholding? No, God's like, I've given you everything. What do you mean more? Who will bring any charge? Who's going to whisper in her ear that you're not good enough? That your sin is too big? That your disappointment is too great? That your failures are too much? Who is going to bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. God's the only voice that could possibly condemn you. And all he's saying is, I love you. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died? No. More than that, he was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God. He is interceding for you. He's constantly telling God how great you are. He's saying, this guy, you wouldn't believe. They're awesome. They're amazing. I love them and I want them to be with us forever and eternity. That's what Jesus is doing. He's not whispering, God, you would not believe. Have you ever been in a situation where two people are whispering and you're so like self-centered, you think they're probably talking about me? Well, God and Jesus are whispering and they're talking about how great you are, how awesome you are. He's interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who has the power to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? No. Hardship? No. Persecution? No. Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? No. All as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In all these things we are more than conquerors. Because one day you will be dead and then you won't be. And you will be with God forever, which is exactly what he's wanted all along. Because he loves you. Here we go. Listen to this. No, we are more than conquerors. Verse 38, for I am convinced that death, life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the reality in which we should be thinking about communion and remembering communion, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even our sin, not even death, because one day Jesus died and then he wasn't dead. The Gospels don't even tell us that part of the story. I, by sheer coincidence, when I read my Bible in the morning, I just read until I'm done reading and I'm ready to move on with my day. And I don't have a plan. I don't check a box. I have no idea. I have no idea where I'm going to be any time of the year. I didn't plan this at all. But you happen to, you, guess, what, guess what part of the book of John I was reading this morning? This morning, the resurrection. I mean, uh, unbelievable. I feel like the Spirit had to be navigating that because one day I read two verses and one day I read two chapters and it just happened to be today. How, I mean, that's special to me that that was what happened uh, as I'm reading Scripture. But there's no account of what actually happened. There's no account. We don't get to see in the tomb. We don't know who rolled away the stone. We don't know how this all happened and how everything came back to life. We have no idea. All we know is that Jesus was dead and then he wasn't and there was life again and there was hope for us and that we don't have to fight for our worth and value because God has already said I love you he calls us his children he doesn't condemn he doesn't shame he doesn't alienate he doesn't reject he loves so as we take communion today man may this be an expression of God's love for us if you feel guilt or condemnation because you've got stuff in your life that needs to change and you know just know that God's voice is saying I want you to change that because I love you not because you're disappointing to me not because I condemn you because I love you and your life would be better because of it let's pray father in heaven we are grateful 
uh, to be reminded of these realities. They're huge, God. They're so big that sometimes, even though it feels simple, it feels as simple as a children's song, that we can sit here and it just goes right over our heads. God, I pray that your spirit would not allow that to happen, that your spirit would help us take in this truth deeply into our hearts, that it would be the truth that compels us to be the people you have called us to be, that to live the way you have called us to live. Lord, not to fight for worth or achievement, to be able to offer love and grace and compassion to others because we are deeply, fully loved by you. So God, as we take this, these emblems that remind us of Christ's death on the cross, may it remind us of Christ's love on the cross and your love expressed to us through that moment. And may we remember that that is not the end of the story, but you raised Christ to life again through the power of the Spirit. And may you one day raise us again through the power of the Spirit that is living in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church, and happy Easter. As the crackling subsides, we can go ahead and start standing up, and let's celebrate Christ's resurrection. Let's celebrate renewal, rescue, resurrection. It is an amazing day outside, and I can't wait to sing with you all today. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love, this righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross 
in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever block me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand. This next song we're going to sing is, um, is a spiritual, I believe. And um, the reason we're singing a spiritual today is because um, the next couple months or so, we are going to be talking about faith and race. And while this text is so appropriate today, the most amazing thing about it is that it, instead of telling us about the resurrection, instead of telling us about Christ, and it just asks a question, whether you were there, and are we there? Do we experience Christ's resurrection in our lives? Do we know what it's like to see him up there on that cross? And that's the most amazing thing about this hymn, is that it's just a bunch of questions, and we have to be the ones to answer it. Um, also, this spiritual was the first spiritual that was published in American church hymnals. And I feel like that is something that is so telling to us today. Um, so think about that as we, uh, as we sing that song together. Karina and I are going to sing the first verse, and then we're going to ask you to join us. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Join us, church. Tree, were you there 
blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Amen. All right, this next song uh, may seem familiar to you. Um, I wasn't there, but I've heard that it was number four in the top 100, uh, Billboard Top 100 in 1971. And, um, and I think that's great because it's actually a hymn um, written to glorify God and to praise Jesus. Um, and I love this song because I imagine the women in the garden um, approaching the tomb and learning that Jesus is alive and how that must have felt like um, the very first morning for them. Um, and so that's what the, why we chose this song this morning. <clears throat> morning has broken like the first morning. Blackbird has spoken like the first bird. Praise for the singing, praise for the morning, praise for them springing, fresh from the word. Sing along Please with join us. us. Sweet the rain's new fall, sunlit from heaven, like the Cummings. And it's a quote for a sonnet or a song. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have, am, I who have died am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and of wings and of the gay great happening illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being, doubt unimaginable, you, and that's you capitalized. Now the ears, now the ears of my ears awake, 
and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to die. Heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives because he Now revealed in you our 
wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. Death could not hold you, the veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever God you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus, what a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus, what a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Dear God, thank you so much for this opportunity to sing and praise you today. We celebrate Christ's resurrection. We celebrate the sacrifice and we are so thankful for that. We pray that we can uh, embody that to others every single day of our lives, and we always remember Christ's resurrection uh, every single day, but we celebrate it today and help us enjoy the renewal that we see in each other's spirits and each other's hearts and help us celebrate this beautiful weather you've given us today. And we thank you for those blessings. Be with everyone throughout this week. Be with the ones of our family who are hurting and suffering that we've mentioned in our request today. And help us carry Christ's name throughout the rest of the week. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>